Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the Long Long and the Short of It. Welcome back, everyone, to Wine, the Long and the Short of It, episode two, uh, where we will be covering everything you want to know about wine, part two. Part two. We covered a bit of ground in part one, but still a lot of topics to cover. So let's dive straight into it. How long can a bottle of wine stay open? Well, I don't know about your views, but mine would be um, a white. I wouldn't I wouldn't even carry it over today, too, to be quite honest with you. Um, and a red I would I would carry over today, too, but not to day three. That's <sighs> yeah, really. And okay. if it's a glass of Fino or Manzanilla, forget about it. It has to be on the spot. OK, so apart Basically. from sherry, most wine that <laughs> yeah. people open and they're like, I'll have a glass tonight. And, you know, that it's Tuesday. I won't drink a bottle. I'll have a glass. So I would argue that it depends on the grape. It depends on the quality of it and um, how full bodied it is. OK, well, now you just made me sound totally thick. <laughs> So basically what you're saying is you drink a lot. Okay. So it has more to do with me not having any to carry over to the next day. So if you open a bottle of wine in your house, it's gone. Well, there no, are, look, are I, no leftovers. I take your point that, you know, it depends on the style and all of that. But generally, generally, I wouldn't re- I mean, OK, if you had a glass of white, you could definitely have another glass of that white the next day. But as a rule, I try and not with whites because I just think... Um, Straight away, there's oxygen yeah, and it's not supposed to be, to be yeah, open to start, Yeah, okay. exactly. They're going to start they're gonna Okay, but realistically, people who are listening to this are not people who are just going to open a bottle of wine and, and scull it down, I would think. Maybe. Maybe they are. Unlike <laughs> So what I would say is, again, I had an off-dry Riesling and I did a little test on it a while ago and I had it open for nine days. Nine days. No, I had dribbles each day and it was gorgeous. I would still drink it. If I gave it to anybody on day nine, after I Riesling, it was about 30 quid a bottle. So it was a good quality and yeah. it was really good. Okay, let's break this down instead. If you're dealing with a younger, fresh, fruity, dry, white um, or equally red, yeah, it doesn't have the ability to to, to last once opened. So that's where my one to two day max on white and two to three day max on red rule would apply. But if you have, for example, a big, bold red, super structured, it's had oak, it's, you know, it's got, um, you know, firm tannins and lots of fresh acidity and whatever. You know, once it's opened and in tons of complexity, once it's opened, it can yeah, it can last a bit longer, but I think nine days is pushing it, Linda. Yeah, but for my Riesling, it worked. It was amazing. Okay, so the rule of thumb is basically, I would say, two to three, push it to two for your white, and okay. three for your red. Okay, yeah. And what about, do you keep it in the fridge? Do you keep it in your press? Or yeah, what do you do? I do you put a spoon in it? No. A silver spoon? No. Is that a myth? I don't know that one. Keeping it a silver spoon, it's mainly in sparkling wine. You put a silver spoon yeah. in it. To no, keep it fresh. I don't. That's I have um, I have the caravan stoppers, closures. You're, you're fancy, like. Well, where would you be without? Where would I be without a caravan? I'd be absolutely stony broke. 
<laughs> so the Coravan, in case anybody doesn't know what that is, is an amazing apparatus that if you work in the wine industry, you must have one. And if you have an amazing uh, collection of wine, but you don't want to drink a bottle each time, it is um, an apparatus that looks kind of like a, it's titanium, is it? Uh, I wish I had it now. Um it, look, it has a needle. It has a needle. I don't it, know the material, but it's a needle. And it was actually, it was developed by a brain surgeon mm-hmm. whose wife was pregnant mm-hmm. at the time. And he enjoyed a glass of wine with his dinner and so on. And he didn't want to have to open the full bottle. So he developed this technology, Caravan. It's a very simple handheld device with a needle um, that goes through the cork. It has to be some sort of natural cork, um, which is porous. And it draws like a a measure of wine or however much of the wine you want um, without damaging the cork. The cork will will close back up again and you're good to go and you haven't uh, jeopardised the wine. Although it must be said that the general rule, I don't know about you, Mm -hmm. is kind of once it's gone below half, you know, you should just open it and drink it because there's enough oxygen in the bottle there that it's going to... So argon gas goes in replace of the oxygen to preserve the wine, basically. And it doesn't spoil the wine. But exactly what you're saying, I have had uh, a few bottles that have gone beyond the half point mark and I tried the Coravan just to be cheeky and have a sneaky glass of something nice. But I'm best just opening it up and and enjoying it from there. But um, yeah, it's an amazing uh, tool uh, for anyone in the wine industry and restaurants. You can get lots of uh, wines by the glass by Coravan now that you mightn't have been able able to avail of in the past. So yeah, do look out for that. But it will clearly state on a wine list if it is a Coravan or not. Mm-hmm. Good. Next up, what? And now I have to be honest, Linda, I have never been asked this question. Mm-hmm. Would you have this on our list? What do you do with leftover wine? Leftover wine. So you mean that you wouldn't drink in a day? Well, you certainly would do You're that. the person that's, <laughs> that has made a bottle of Riesling last for nine days. Okay, so what you do with it, like I think, so I, I often joke about that, you know, what you do with leftover wine. And it's like, there shouldn't be any, just drink it and enjoy it. But if there is um, a few things that I do is actually put it in the ice trays and freeze it and use it for stock, for a risotto. Um, throw a little cube. Look at Antonia's face. She's like, I'm ah, impressed. I know. Not that it happens that often, but um, you know, if you've read wine, it adds to a ragu, something fancy, and you throw your instead of your gorgeous wine that you're drinking that you reluctantly throw in. You've got these, you know, ice cubes that you just throw in instead. Question: mm-hmm. How often do you use wine in cooking, and what wine do you use, and with what? It totally and absolutely depends what I'm making. Okay, so spaghetti bolognese, I will throw a splash in. I usually like to pour some wine while I'm cooking. So I do a lot of cooking of Spanish food. And if I'm cooking gambas al ajillo, I use a fino. Actually, I use sherry in a lot of cooking. There's a there's a pollo al ajillo as well, which is chicken and garlic. <laughs> so translated to English, you did not tune into a Spanish podcast. This is an English speaking podcast. Sorry, okay. So prawns. Um, in garlic and chicken, chicken in garlic. garlic sauce, yeah. Um, again, a fino or monteado, I would use. Um, you see, I would never in a million years have a sherry to drink at home, ever. Why? It's just on my ra- not on my radar at all. Like, do you know, whereas in your house, I would happily, you know, just sip on, like the last time I was there, you just threw out some manchego and it's like, oh, grand, you know, a cheese you have instead of cheddar. <laughs> 
But isn't it a lovely, a lovely oh, kind of warmer upper? Yeah, drink? 100%. Um, I mean, it's brilliant. It's so versatile. It can go with food as well, of course. But on a Sunday afternoon, I love it on a Sunday afternoon. You're doing your roast is in the oven if you're a traditional. And, you know, you're whatever you're doing. You're reading the papers. You're reading wine your reviews. Master. You're studying. Well, yeah, I kind of have to lay off the I'm the other one I'm trying to study. But... um. And you have your little nibbles out and you yeah. pour a little glass of fino or, or, or you know, monthly. So next week, next Sunday in yours, is it? Thanks. Yes. Thanks yeah. for the invite. Anyway, look, we can be, you and I'd be here all day long talking about food and wine parents, but I'm just interested. No, no. And we have a huge, a whole episode yeah. dedicated to that topic yeah. because it's massive. Yeah. Can't wait to go there. So another really common question and something I'm asked a lot is basically, what is the etiquette with sending back wine in a restaurant? Okay, well, there are two scenarios. One is that you smell the wine, you taste the wine, and you're getting something legitimately off with the wine. The second scenario is that you taste the wine and you just don't like it because it's just not your style. It's just not your preference. So in the first scenario, you're absolutely entitled to send the wine back. Just call the staff over and explain you've gotten something off. You think the wine is faulty. Um, If they don't believe you, they'll taste it themselves. And then... um, yeah, they will definitely offer you the um, this you know to choose whether you want the same wine again or to replace the wine. The second scenario is really a, a, a case of you just have not selected the right wine for you, and in that case, I think it's difficult to argue for another bottle. Um, and we'll go into how best to um, select a wine from a restaurant wine list in another episode because I know it can be an absolute minefield for mm-hmm. people. And and food and wine pairing again. Yeah. It's like trying to find the right wine. So future episodes. Exactly. Okay, so okay, so it basically the the first scenario, so if somebody says they, they get a wine, the smellies was saying, Would you like to taste the wine? And you taste it and you're like uh, you're under pressure straight away. You're st- someone's standing over you and you've got a glass in front of you, you're doing the fancy swirling around, you stick your nose in, you're like, What cardboard? <laughs> what the heck is this? I'm not liking this. What do you do? Yeah, well, firstly, what you said is bang on, smell it for sure because you'll detect it or you should detect it in most cases on the nose straight away. You'll know something's off and then you'll just be confirming it when you taste it. So um, all the possible faults or aromas, the faulty ones that you could pick up would be um, as follows. So you have cork taint, which we talked about in Mm -hmm. episode one, the wet cardboard mouldy aroma. There's brett, Again, we'll explain this in another episode, but breath, um, breath not breath, um, can present in that kind of rancid, sweaty, lovely, funky sexy. farmyard. Nice. Sounds good. Actually, believe it or not, a lot of winemakers seek to have some level yeah. of breath. Um, I'm very, very sensitive to breath. Are you? Yeah. Okay. In its best form, it can smell like sort of bacon, spice, cloves, smoke. But excess levels can be all those other awful things I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Then you have oxidation where due to maybe a cork fault or whatever, um, the wine's been open too long. Uh, it can just be faded fruit and um, Tastes a little bit like a sherry. <laughs> and what sherry so, we're talking about. Don't yeah, be so, no, I know. Don't I be know. confusing our listeners we talk about sherry. No, I know, but but I know you love sherry, but sometimes oxidative notes can yeah. go, oh, it tastes like sherry and it's horrible because of what their perception of sherry is. Sure. And I know you'll argue that sherry is the best mm. wine in the world, but um, yeah, so oxygen in wine can be a, 
a funky kind of yeah, it can be literally for me. It's the main thing is that it just gives you um, a more of a dried fruit, nutty character, like you just said yeah. about about um, some some styles of sherry, um, as opposed to having you know whatever fresh fruit profile or flavor mm-hmm. profile it's meant to have. And then another one is reductive taint, oh, which presents eggs. in yeah, it's basically rotten eggs. Yeah. So you'll smell that one straight away. Um, and finally, you have um, VA, volatile acidity, and that will smell a bit like um, nail polish remover yeah, or paint remover. Yeah, it's so funny. But I think most people probably won't pick these things up. The more you taste, the more you're, you know, open and exposed to these type of faults in wine. Yeah. So hopefully none of you experience any of these, but if you get any of them... Yeah. By all means, send the wine back. And don't be intimidated to return them. Exactly. To decant or not to decant? What do you think? Why are you talking like this? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, To decant or not to decant? Um, I would say yes in a lot of cases. And in other cases, it's not necessary. So young, fresh, fruity wine... Um, that's designed to be consumed early and in its fresh and fruity form does not need decanting in my opinion and um, a wine with any kind of level of complexity or ageability will um, definitely benefit from um, from decanting Um, I'm just thinking because you know you do need a little bit of oxygen to interact with the wine and unlock those aromas and those flavours and and so even if you don't decant necessarily you know, I would pour wine and I would just, you know, that's it for for a little bit before drinking it. Um, but in the case of um, a serious age-worthy wine, like a big Barolo or something like that, um, um, I would definitely decant. Okay, so I'm just going to, for consumers that may not know exactly what we're talking about decanting, um, basically turn pouring a bottle of wine into a different vessel in order to oxygenate the wine to give it uh, to open it up and let it breathe okay Um, and it's you know if you go to fancy restaurants you'll see that they do that with many wines and I would say that if you have a cheap bottle of wine and you're trying to impress friends pour it into (laughs) a decanter they'll never know the difference okay now I know your tricks (laughs) Linda now I know what you're doing exactly I have a bottle of something that I've stashed so what about decanting a white wine yeah, um, no, I would I, only ever do it with a Burgundy. I've only ever seen my I, fancy I rich thinking, uncle doing it with a white my, Burgundy. In my head, I was thinking maybe, yeah, maybe a Burgundy. I'm trying to think what else. Goodello, an aged Goodello. I don't no. know if I would bother now. I have okay. to say, I don't think it would benefit all that much. Okay. But, um, so yeah, but again, don't buy the, I was given a beautiful Patrick Gibo's decanter that was stunning. What a pain in the, Bleep, to clean. Oh my God, it was yeah. a nightmare. So just get have you any tricks or tips on that? Because um, I have a, a decanter at home that I, I seriously, I don't, uh, I think they said, you know, white wine, vinegar and bread soda, this kind of thing. I'm not going to put them into my but decanter and mix them in my wine. So what do you do? Okay, so I was told two things and to be honest, straight up, I don't use my decanters that often. Straight mm-hmm. up. I just drink the wine. Generally, I'm not drinking very fancy, fancy wine by myself. Um, and when you come over and there's a decanter, it's, Crap, that I've poured in. I'm only joking. <laughs> um, no, oh, it's but, crap wine. All right, sorry. 
Um, yeah. So I would, the the little balls that you get, you know, the little copper balls that you get that you oh, swirl yeah. around, given them, they don't really work. Um, but Milton, uh, you know, the baby uh, sterilization for their bottles. Yeah. It's really, really gentle for babies' bottles, but it sterilizes them. I was told that that is an absolute uh, dream. Good to tip. use, yeah. Well, sorry, it's not a tip. I'll try it for before next episode, and uh, you'll have to come around and have a glass of wine by yeah, decanter we'll and see. That one out. Yeah, we'll let you know. But I don't want any of the yeah, vinegar the and soda. No thanks. I <laughs> know. Oh, I'll put something fancy in. I promise. <laughs> okay. Um, wine recommendations, Linda. What's your wine recommendation for this week? Okay, so I absolutely am in love with a particular wine called Monte the Pesagina, M O N T. D-A-P-E-C-E-G-U-I-N-A. Well done. It's actually, it's actually. Is it that right? I think it is. I know you, you know, love when I spell things out. Okay. So basically it's an Alentejo Portuguese blend of grapes. Chiriga Nacional. I think there's some Sierra in it. And it is an absolutely gorgeous Portuguese wine that has just this Oh, oh, it's absolutely okay. So sorry, I had it last week, and I tasted it, and I didn't get another bottle for myself. I had to give it to someone else, so I was devastated. So basically, it is gorgeous, gorgeous bramble fruit, fruits of the forest, like black forest gado, some cream, some spice, some chocolate mocha, delicious, and I could totally and utterly drink it on its own. <laughs> Hey, all right there. Can I cough? Yeah, you can cough. <laughs> it's delicious on its own, but oh my good God, if you had it with lamb or like lamb kebabs or like a kind of cheese board or anything like that, it would be amazing. Well, charcuterie board mainly. Um, I think it's spent 10, ten months in oak and it has that lovely sweet vanilla kiss to it as well. Um, about 24 quid. Uh, in good independence and what I love about it the Soares family the younger generation have always designed the the labels on the bottle so this year 2020 vintage features a grasshopper <laughs> last year was a zebra and uh, it's uh, Montepesagina Tinto uh, their white is Branco I haven't had that in a while have you had their no, white? No I haven't tried yeah, that to be honest I'm, I'm going to try that soon uh, but, but some the, of the Portuguese whites are unbelievable. Yeah, so outside of the typical Vino Verdes. No, just, exactly. And uh, But again, with the with the reds, people know Dura Valley, the Dow and that. But this is Alentejo, a, a cooler kind of aspect climate. And it's just fucking gorgeous. Sorry. Great. I can see you're really into it. I really like it. I'm so I annoyed. I go out and buy a bottle right no, now honestly, based on that endorsement. I, okay, well, yeah. you know, I, I meant to get another bottle for myself. I, I have them. So, I mean... I, we stock them so I can okay. hook, you up. hook me up. I can hook you up. What about you? Um, this week I'm feeling Gruner, Gruner Veltliner, um, a very much on trend uh, grape variety and, and, and wine in general. A what now? On trend. No, Gruner. Gruner Veltliner. So um, you'll find Gruners now more and more on the wine lists of, you know, wine bars and restaurants and so on. Um, and I'm a big fan of Gruners in general. The one that I tried recently is the, I'm uh, probably not doing her name justice, Birgit Eichinger Strass Gruner Valtliner. Better than what I would do. <laughs> go on. <laughs> no, see go on. See. Okay, go. <laughs> Birgit Eichinger Strauss Gruner Valtliner. Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. 
Anyway, she's a female winemaker. Um, she won Winemaker of the Year 2022 in Austria. Really? Yeah, apparently she's great. She's a real progressive winemaker and she's making very individual expressive wines. Um, so uh, her gruner, this gruner is, um, so it's made in the Camptal region. Um, and the Camptal region, which has, you know, quite a warm climate, but a very high diurnal range. Diurnal, Linda, explain. <laughs> Do we need to explain diurnal? Yes. Okay. You need to explain. Diurnal range is the difference between the daytime temperature and the nighttime temperature. So the daytime temperature. And why does that matter? I'm going to explain. Okay, sorry. The daytime temperature is uh, warm, which is good for ripening of the grapes. Uh And the nighttime temperature is cool, which helps to the grapes to retain their acidity. So you get a lovely balanced wine um, as a result. Um, the Birgit Eichinger is, um, it's crisp, refreshing, it's toned and precise, flavours of fern, zesty lime, white pepper notes. Pepper um, is always common in gruners, isn't it? It's like, the a, good, a, a good gruner. Yeah. You're not going to always get it, but a good gruner has the pepper. Well, to be honest, in a blind tasting, we would always, I mean, there would be definitely a marker. If it's mm-hmm. a gruner, you're, you're, you know, you're looking for the peppery, those peppery notes. Um, so, yeah, very crisp and lean and, um, yeah, toned. And it's, yeah, just a gorgeous white. It, by the way, this one has, um, obviously, it's a cool fermentation, but it has four months on the lees, um, which just gives it a, a nice texture. And I would put this with crab, grilled prawns, langoustines, and even lightly spiced cuisine, like pad thais and green curries and prawn, maybe prawn tacos if you're into Mexican food. I just think it it, it works. It's got enough little enough of a hint of spice to kind of work with a little bit. Not not overly spicy food, but, you know, just aromatically spicy food. Um a really good gruner, but then I could endorse, I could recommend any number of gruners because I just think it's a, it's a great wine. Okay, so we're going to do the quiz. Are you ready? The quiz. Oh, great. Okay. okay. So I'm going to give you half the pile and I'm going to take okay. half the pile. Okay. Hit me. Hold on. Here's our right timer. Are you ready? Oh, sure. I'm ready oh, as on, ever. Hold on, hold on. Okay, so I, for anyone new to this, I'm going to describe what is on the card and Antonia is supposed to be able to guess what it is. It's supposed to do to with being the operative word. <laughs> to do with wine. Okay, you ready? Set, yeah. go. go. This is a very well-known um, Australian wine brand that was has a yellow label. Wolf was, glass. Yes. Very good. Oh, God. Uh, this is the type of, oh, I don't even know what to call it. It is the vines that we, grapes that are grown on these things. It's the species. Yeah, the species of it. Very good. Okay, so this was a competition in, I can't remember the year, that was to do with Bordeaux and Californian wines. 1855 classification. Okay, no, but it's called the Judgment of Paris. We're out of time. We're out of time. Linda, are you ready? Okay. Pressure's on. Oh, damn. Timer, ready, steady, go. A region in Germany, uh, slaty soil type, Riesling. Mosel. Yeah. Um, the most famous sparkling wine region in France. Champagne. Um, a Easy. brand of Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. Well-known one. One of the New Zealand. Yeah. Um, I, re- I, I rotate uh, these questions if that's any. Okay, so, so you're. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You can write the next ones. Go on. Fair enough. Um, a region below Burgundy that makes wine from the Gamay grape. Um, and the other name for Primitivo grape variety. Um We're out of time. We're out of time. That was fun. That was good. Okay. We, yeah, I hope done. you learned loads. 
Yeah. Although, how many people need to know? Um, so, Cloudy Bay. About the wine, like Wolf Blast. Oh, you know. How many people want to know? Wolf Blast is basically the reason why ABC came about anything but Chardonnay, because they over oaked their wines with uh, big, massive things of tea, tea bags full of oak chips. Now they've learned something. There you go. Bad on the See, you see, yeah. I tell you, this is why. You have been listening to Wine, the Long and the Short of It, with me, Antonia Dominguez. And me, Linda Coogan. Subscribe to and share our podcast with your wine-loving friends. Cheers. Thanks.